Welcome to the Grace Point Podcast, a ministry of Grace Point Church for Scythe in Cumming, Georgia. To find out more about Grace Point Church, you can go to our website at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org. We are wrapping up our study of Ecclesiastes. This is uh, the second to last sermon. Next week we'll close out Ecclesiastes, and the week after that we will move on to a new book. So this week we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 through 12.8. You can find this on page 559 in the Blue Pew Bibles or 663 in the Red Pew Bibles. As you turn there, just want to remind you of a couple of things. We have some exciting stuff coming up for our women's ministry. Uh, this coming Saturday, September 10th at 10 a.m., our women's ministry is having their kickoff. If you have any questions, please feel free to see Katie. She'll wave her hand. There she is. Uh, ask her questions afterwards. We're excited about kicking off women's ministry, excited about uh, the things that uh, our women will be doing to not only be together, but to encourage and challenge one another. And along those same lines, next week, starting September 14th, so not this Wednesday, but the following one, we have a new women's Bible study that's going to be taking place in the evenings. That will be at 7.30 p.m. Glad I looked at the slide. I almost said 7. If you show up at 7, that's okay. You know, there People will be here. That'll be at 7.30 p.m. They're going to be uh, studying the book of Romans. Uh, so those are two new exciting opportunities that we have coming up that we'd encourage our women to get involved with. Again, you can ask Katie if you have any questions. All right, now that we are at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The text that we're going to be dealing with today is chapter 11 and chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, uh, but we will look at all of 11 along with chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. And the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dim. And the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Father, we pray that as we study this text, you will help our minds to comprehend what you are teaching here. You'll hide the truths of the Scripture in our hearts, and our hands will work out exactly what this text is teaching. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom, which means that Ecclesiastes has a wide variety of ways that it gets its message across. 
including allegory and pictures painted and poetry, and we're dealing with a lot of those today. Now, the reason we start by reminding ourselves that Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature and that wisdom literature has a lot of different methods for getting its message across is because context is king. Yes, context is king. For those of you who are like, what just happened? We say that all the time because it's a good reminder for us that when we open our Bibles, we need to understand what the context is. Who wrote the book? What kind of book is it? Who was it written to? What was the time and, and frame and people that the book was written to? Because only after understanding those things can we truly glean from the word what it's trying to tell us. And so we've been looking at Ecclesiastes, this book of wisdom written by Solomon or a Solomon-like figure, a king who has lots of wisdom and is passing it on, written to a, a group, uh, written to Israel that's moving from an agricultural community where they plant the seeds and they pray and trust in the Lord. And the Lord provides the harvest. They can't do anything to make each seed grow or grow faster or slower. They have to trust and to pray to a culture that is much more commercial. The promised land is uh, the, the center of lots of different roads and trade routes. It's got a lot of different ports, and so lots of money is starting to come through. And people are able to make more. They're able to move into commerce. Solomon, or this, the author, is writing to these people, reminding them not to give up trusting in the Lord just because they're no longer in an agricultural context, and that the things of this world are not worth pursuing. Only the things of God are worth pursuing. Because of the, the things of this world without God are vanity under the sun. Those are the two key phrases that we've seen all throughout the book. Vanity, which is the Hebrew word havel, which means breath or wind. It, it carries this idea of trying to capture the wind. We can't even see the wind. How do we capture it? It just... Even if we were somehow able to get it in our hand, as soon as somebody wanted to see it, we would open our hand and be gone. That's what vanity means. And under the sun refers to all the things of this world without God. Everything that this world provides without God. And so Solomon has been writing to his people, trying to help them understand what it means to trust in God, what it means that the world is filled with vanity and why they should pursue the Lord instead of pursuing the things of this world. Now, we're coming to the end of Ecclesiastes. We have this week and next week. And as we do, I thought it'd be important for us to remember that Ecclesiastes is a significant book. It's probably not a book that many of you looked at before we started the series. I didn't spend a lot of time in it every year. And yet, as we've gleaned the richness of the wisdom of Solomon, We've seen over and over again that Ecclesiastes is still applicable today, and not just still applicable, but very meaningful and very appropriate. And this isn't just the case for today. Throughout history, we've seen other people refer to Ecclesiastes. Herman Melville, in his famous novel Moby Dick, wrote this, The truest of all men was the man of sorrows, and the truest of all books is Solomon's. And Ecclesiastes is the finest hammered steel of woe. It wasn't just Melville who was impacted by Ecclesiastes. Another author, Thomas Wolfe, said this, Of all that I have ever seen or learned, the books, this, that book, that is Ecclesiastes, seems to me the most noblest, the wisest, 
and the most powerful expression of man's life upon this earth, and also of earth's highest flower of poetry, eloquence, and truth. I'm not given to dogmatic judgments in the matter of literary creation, but if I had to make one, I could only say that Ecclesiastes is the greatest single piece of writing I have ever known, and the wisdom expressed in it the most lasting and profound. As weird as it sounds to say we're studying Ecclesiastes, it's important. It's not just important because it's God's word, but it's important because this wisdom spans time. And so as we bring this book to a close, Solomon uses the closing of the book and the illustration of the closing of our lives to remind us of the importance of faithfulness in every moment. Not to wait to be faithful, but to be faithful now. So we're going to look at three different divisions of this text. We're going to start by looking at chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, Solomon says, Work hard to be able to give. Work hard to be able to give. Then in chapter 11, 7 through 10, we're going to see the last command that he's repeated over and over again, the command of enjoy what God has given. Enjoy what God has given. Then in 12, verses 1 through 8, we're going to see not just do we work hard to give and enjoy what God has given, but we are supposed to do it now. Not to procrastinate and not to wait. So let's start by looking at chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and how we are called to work hard in order to give. Now, I want to make a special plea, young people, children, kids, youth, however you want to be called, this section of text is specifically and explicitly written to you, and you'll see why as we go through. It's talking to you about being faithful now, not waiting, not procrastinating, not seeing your wisdom will come, but to pursue it now. You see, in these verses, Solomon is going to encourage us to work hard. Not later, but now. And to give generously. So let's start by looking at verses 1 and 2. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. Starting in these two verses, Solomon is painting a picture. Now, the, the first verse in particular about casting bread onto water is hard for us to understand. We don't get the cultural context that that is in, and no commentator has understood that. The idea being carried forward, though, seems to be this is a cultural saying, an image that while we can't understand, we do understand what it is trying to tell us. We do understand that we are called to work hard so that we may some commentators believe that what he's trying to say here is, you know, don't just pursue one avenue, but find different ways to make money, different ways to give money to other people, different ways that we can love other people because we have worked hard. In Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, we see Jesus telling this parable about a man who had so much that he decided he would build extra barns to store all his food because then he would have plenty for years to come. Jesus says he's foolish. He says he died that night. And the moral of that story is don't hoard 
the things you've worked for, share them. Give of them. Help other people. Because you never know when you may die. And so he starts in verses 1 and 2 saying, we need to work diligently. Work first, then play. That's not an order that we like. We like to play always and work when we have to. But Scripture is telling us, work first, then play, so that we can give to others who are in need. This morning as we were looking at Leviticus, we were talking about how there are laws given for those who had vineyards and fields and things like that. Laws given to help the poor, to help the needy. You weren't supposed to harvest your entire field. You're supposed to leave some of it out there so that if there were people who were poor, they would be able to eat. And it's so weird for us to think, why would I not harvest every single drop of grain that's in that field? Because we're so focused on ourselves. But all throughout Scripture, God says we are supposed to be a community. I've said it many times. I want Crossway to publish an ESVS, the ESV Southern Version. That's every time you see the word you, and it's plural, they put in there y'all. That way we know, because you know, when I say you, you don't know if I'm referring to you individually or you, the crowd. But if we saw something like y'all or all y'all or you-ins or whatever cultural plural you you have, then we would know and we would see that God is speaking to us as a church, as Christians, as a body. He tells us individually to work hard so that we can give to each other. This isn't only an Old Testament principle. In the New Testament, Acts 2, 42 through 47, right after Jesus has ascended back into heaven and Peter has made his great Pentecost sermon, we see in those last few verses of chapter 2 the peak into the early church. And right in the middle of those verses is this concept of anyone who has need was taken care of. When there was someone with a need, someone else would sell what they had to provide for that need so that there weren't tears in the church, but all were provided for. Solomon in verses 1 and 2 is saying, work hard so that you can give. And in verses 3 and 4, he continues this theme of working hard by reminding us to beware of procrastination. Beware of procrastination. Verse 3 says, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Well, what does this mean? Remember, they're in an age that is moving from agricultural to commercial, but all of them would understand the agricultural context. And so when he says someone is watching the weather and paying attention to what's going on around them, they're not sowing. They're not making sure that their fields are getting planted. Now, if you're in an agricultural society, you understand when the right time to plant is and when the right time to harvest is. And so nobody should have to be looking at the weather. Nobody should have to be staring off into space. Solomon is saying, don't procrastinate. You know when you're supposed to plant. Don't stare at the clouds. Don't be lazy, because if you're lazy, if you stare at the clouds, even when you know you should be working hard, you know what that means? That means you're not going to reap. 
That means you're not going to have planted anything, and so nothing will have grown, and so you won't have anything to show for it. If you don't plant, you can't reap. If you don't work, you will eventually be destitute. Solomon has already brought this concept to us before in Ecclesiastes, and he's just reminding us of not procrastinating. Uh, commentator Roglin says this about verses 3 and 4, particularly this idea of the tree falling and things like that. These verses can also be understood on a deeper level as a veiled reference to the shifting political currents of the day. Trees are common symbols for kings and kingdoms in the Bible, and to mention a tree falling to the south or to the north is likely a, re a reference to the endless conflict between various kings vying for power in the ancient Near East. The preacher urges his listeners not to spend all their time observing the vicissitudes of regional, national, or international politics, but instead to remain diligent in their God-given vocations. Now listen to this. I love this sentence. In our modern age, he would encourage many believers to turn off the TV, internet, social media, or talk radio that inundates them with political punditry and instead get busy laboring for their families, their neighbors, their churches, and communities, and the kingdom of God. Solomon is saying, there's always going to be stuff going around you. Don't pay attention to that. Focus on the job God has given you. Let me read that sentence again. In our modern age... He, that is Solomon, <clears throat> would encourage many believers to turn off the TV, internet, social media, or talk radio that inundates them with political punditry and instead get busy laboring for their families, their neighbors, their churches, and their communities. Verse 1 and 2 says, work hard so that you can give. Verse 3 and 4 says, don't get, don't get distracted. Don't procrastinate. Do what you're called to do. And finally, in verses 5 and 6, we see that life is uncertain, and so we need to work diligently. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb or a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Work diligently because you're not sure which will prosper. So in verses 1 through 6 in chapter 11, Solomon is saying, work hard so that you can give to others. Don't procrastinate. Do the God-given jobs that you have. In verses 1 through 6, we saw to work hard in order to give to others. And in verses 7 through 10, we see enjoy what God gives. What does that mean? Enjoy what God gives. Let's look at verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. In the Bible, light is often a reference to life. So life is sweet. Light being provided by the sun is a reminder that God gives us life. So verse 7 is a reminder of the goodness of the things that God has done, the goodness of the things that God has given. And then in verse 8, he says, So, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. 
in this verse, we get two things. One, we get the seventh and final command to enjoy God's gifts in Ecclesiastes. And two, we get a reminder that death is coming. If light represents life, as we've seen in verse 7, then darkness represents death. And so Solomon is saying in verse 8, you have been given the gift of life. Enjoy God's gifts while you can, because we will die. Since we know that death is coming, since death is imminent in some way, shape, or form, no matter how long it takes us to get there, we're called to enjoy the, God, the gifts God has given us now. And not only that, but Solomon puts that word vanity in there again to remind us of the, of the theme of all of the book. Don't go chasing after the wind. Don't go chasing after the things of this world because they are vanity. Instead, enjoy God's gifts and pursue his work. So 7 and 8 remind us of the shortness of of life and give us this seventh command the seventh time he said enjoy god's gifts and now verses 9 and 10 in chapter 11 are transitioning us into chapter 12 so if a person lives many years let him rejoice in them all oops that's eight sorry uh nine rejoice O young man in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes but now that for all these things God will bring, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Kids, this is what I'm talking about. Solomon is writing to you. He's reminding you that now is the time, not in 10, 15, 20 years, to start pursuing the Lord. Now, wherever you are, if you can hear my voice, is the time to diligently be pursuing the Lord. Because we don't know when God is going to call us home. And he gives us gifts. He gives us gifts not only to enjoy, but to do his work. And so because he gives us good gifts, we are called to enjoy them while we can. Enjoy the gifts of God in your youth appropriately. Don't dwell on whatever ails you, but instead enjoy whatever God has given even if it's merely the next breath. Every breath, every heartbeat is a gift from God. And sure, there are other far greater gifts that we enjoy, the taste of good food, things like that. But everything that he gives us, we're supposed to remember and enjoy as his people. But those are not supposed to be our ultimate. Instead, we're supposed to look to him all right, so verses 1 through 6 in chapter 11 have told us to work hard, to persevere, to be diligent so that we can give to others. Verses 7 through 10 told us to enjoy what God has given us. This is the seventh time he has said this. And in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, we're told, do it now. Do it now. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Do it now. In verses 1 through 7, Solomon gives us this, this big grouping of imagery. And we're going to unpack that imagery in just a minute. But we're told that we are getting old. Now, however old you are, if you wake up tomorrow, you're going to be a little bit older. I know, right? It's so exciting. Not depressing at all. 
we are getting old. And as you age, your body degrades. And this is one of the things that Solomon is trying to tell us. The truth of the matter is that we are slowly degrading. And so what we need to do is constantly be enjoying God's gifts and working towards his glory no matter where we are, because one day we won't be able to do that again. And so we read verses 1 through 8, so I'm not going to read them again, but I want to read what these different things are that he's referring to. Before death happens, bodily frailties accumulate as we age, like a once vibrant but now unattended estate. Our hands, legs, teeth, eyes, ears, vocal cords, and hair slowly decay. This is such a good message, so much happiness here. Our hands, which once provided a living and protection, now shake in the days when the keepers of the house tremble. That's what he means, Solomon says. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble, our hands start to lose strength. And not only that, but our legs can't support the weight of our bodies for long. And strong men are bent. Our remaining molars or teeth can't chew food like they used to. The grinders cease because they are few. And our vision declines. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. And if all that weren't bad enough, other awful issues accompany old age. When we want our ears to work well, they don't. We can't even hear ourselves chew, and the doors on the street are shut with the sound of the grinding is low. But when we would be fine with deafness, our ears work too well, and one rises up for the sound of a bird. Moreover, we cannot sing like we used to. Our vocal cords no longer have elastic strength to make sweet music, and all the daughters of song are brought low. Finally, before we die, before we go to our eternal home and people grieve our passing, the mourners go about the streets, our hair turns gray or white. The almond tree blossoms. We lose our mobility to get around painfully. The grasshopper drags itself along. Our motivation to work, our appetite for food, and our sex drive all diminish. Desire fails. And a fear of falling and other dangers increases. They are afraid also of what is high and the terrors that are in the way. And then the moment comes. What was once beautiful, precious, useful, and life-giving is destroyed. The silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Light crashes to the ground, and life spills out like water. Life is broken beyond repair. Death is final and irreversible. So in chapter 12, particularly verses 1 through 7, we get this not overly exciting picture of aging. As we get older, things start to fail. And Solomon uses all these different images from windows to birds to grasshoppers to help point to the fact that we're called not to waste our time. I mentioned last week that I had been reading in a book um, by an 18th century Scottish churchman, and he's talking about the Sabbath, and he makes the point that time belongs to God, and that every second we have is actually one of God's. And we are called not to waste 
God's time. In the same way that we're called not to waste God's money, not to waste God's resources, not to waste God's gifts that he's given us, not to waste God's talents that he's given us. We're called not to waste God's time. And so Solomon is driving home that point here by reminding us that time is finite. You may feel like you are eternal. You may feel strong and healthy today. But at some point, the grinders are going to cease and fall out. You'll start losing your teeth. The almond blossoms will blossom. Your hair will go white or disappear. Things are going to happen in your body. And so you need to remember to take advantage of the here and now and the health you have. Children, youth, kids, young people, this is why God is calling us through Solomon in this text to not waste our time. Our bodies are wasting away. So don't waste our time on the vanities of this world. That's what Solomon is reinforcing. That's what Solomon is saying. Instead of despairing as we see our bodies wasting away, take advantage of the time we have, rejoice responsibly in the things he's given, and remember what he promises us. The things under the sun are not the end. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, as we understand what it's meaning, because the first time we read it through, we're like, what is he talking about? Sounds like he's painting a weird picture. But as we see that he deals with our hands, our legs, our teeth, our eyes, our ears, our vocal cords, our hair, all these things, we see that what he's trying to do is he's trying to remind us that we can't do enough on our own to earn our salvation. That we can't do enough on our own to make it into heaven. That Jesus has done that for us. And through faith in him, we have the promise of eternity so that when we break our legs, when our hair falls out, when we can't hear or see, we can remember that this is not the end. This is not our home. Our home is eternity with the Lord. Revelation 21.4 reminds us that one day God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more suffering, no more death, no more sorrow anymore because God will reverse the effects of the fall. God will reverse the effects of sin. And he will make us one with him again. So Solomon is telling us, work hard, be diligent, give to others, don't procrastinate, recognize the things that God has given you. Because you are aging. We don't feel it, although I will say that on my 40th birthday, I remember thinking, oh, I do feel different. You know, every birthday you ask your kids, do you feel any different? You're 11 now. And they're all like, no, it's just another day. I felt different when I turned 40. It's like, oh, ooh, that, that hurts a little bit more. We're aging. And Solomon is reminding, of this, reminding us of this so that we remain diligent in working in the way God has called us to. Because what is true physically is also true spiritually. It's far easier to memorize Scripture and to establish habits of being in the Word and to share the gospel when we're young, and start that then, then as we age, 
our memory's not as good, our ability to speak and think is not as fast. And so we are called not just to exercise physically, but to exercise spiritually as well. Take advantage of this moment. Be diligent in your work. So how do we do this in our day-to-day? We work hard. Whatever it is God has given us to work at right now, whether we get paid for it or not, we are called to be diligent, not procrastinating. And not just that, but as God gifts us with resources, whatever they may be, whether they're financial or not, we are to give those to others. Listen, if you're looking for a way to do that, we need some nursery help. We've got other positions you can fall into. There are places you can plug into to use your gifts and talents. Give of those so that others can glorify God. Enjoy what God has given you. Seven times in Ecclesiastes, Solomon reminds us of the good gifts of God and to enjoy them while we're here. And finally, don't put things off. Kids, youth, young people, I tell you at the beginning of the sermon that this is for you because Solomon is reminding us that every day matters. Time belongs to God. Don't put things off. Remember who he is and what he has called us to because we're never guaranteed the next moment. Many of us will see the Nashers fall out. We'll see the windows dim, may even die of natural causes. But who knows? Maybe Jesus comes back before we finish communion. And when you're standing before the Lord, are you going to be able to say, I did my best to use my time wisely, to not procrastinate, to give things to others, and to enjoy the gifts that you gave? Because that's what God is calling us to, not only here in Ecclesiastes, but through all of Scripture. Let's pray together. It's not a fun sermon, Lord, to talk about aging because those of us who are going through it know diligently and intimately the pain that aging causes. And yes, it is good for us, Lord, to talk about these things because you're reminding us that every moment we have is a moment that you have given us. You're reminding us not to waste our time. You're reminding us not to procrastinate, but to work hard so that we can then give freely to those in need. You're reminding us that every moment is a gift from you. And that while we are here, we're to enjoy those gifts. So Father, as we feel the sociological, the physical, or the spiritual degradation as we age, we pray that we would continue to be diligent. We would continue to pursue you. We would continue to want to glorify you. That we would not be drawn to the vanities of this world, the things under the sun. Instead, we would be drawn into your presence. And that we would take peace in the fact that you have promised us that one day you will reverse the effects of sin and we will be with you forever. Father, we pray that that gospel will forever be in our hearts and minds. We'll be forever reflecting on that great gift. In Jesus' name we pray.
Thanks again for joining us. We pray that you are drawn closer to God and encouraged to be in the Word. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org.